Good morning. I have some questions I'd like to start with. Now, there's not a right and a wrong answer, and there's no prize if you get it right. And uh, How many disciples were there? Twelve. Twelve, okay, good. Next question. Can you name one of them? Name one of the disciples, anyone. Peter. Anyone else? Mark. Mark. John. John. Okay. Peter. What was his occupation? Fisherman. Fisherman. Anybody like to go fishing here? Anybody a fisherman? I want to tell you about three times that Peter went fishing. And I've gone fishing three times in my life. And I'm going to compare the three times I went fishing the three times Peter went fishing and see who came out the best. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd pressed him. There's always great crowds around Jesus. Pressing on him to listen to the words of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So there are two boats right on the shore. The crowd is so big, Jesus is getting pushed back into the water. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon Peter, its owner, push it out into the water. So that he sat in a boat and taught the crowd from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out there where it is deeper and let down your nets and you will catch many fish. And he fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus said, You're going to get a lot of fish. Let's see if he does. Verse 5. Master, Simon replied, I have worked hard all night. And didn't catch anything. Didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll try again. And this time, his nets were full and they were about to break. So the first time, he fished all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus comes along and says, do this. And when Jesus says it, it comes out right. Key phrase, with Jesus in charge. I'd like to tell you about my first experience fishing. I was in junior high school and my boyfriend and I went fishing at a lake in New Jersey. And the water wasn't real deep, it was maybe three or four feet deep, but the bottom was all rocky. And we cast our line out there, try to pull it in and get snagged on a rock or something, pull it to the left and pull it to the right and Finally come loose, you have to put the bait back on again, start all over again, cast it out there, get caught in the rocks. And it went on all morning. Got rather frustrating. So we stopped for lunch and we decided to try it a couple more times in the afternoon. I cast it in and it got stuck again. I was really frustrated and I give it a yank with all my might and, and I didn't realize I had an eel on the line. And I pulled with all my might. The eel came out about eight feet above the ground zoomed overhead, 
and there was a tree behind me with a branch sticking out, and he went about four times around the branch, and he's eight and nine feet up in the air. Can't cut him down, can't do anything with it. So I said, that's it for me. That's the first time I went fishing. Second time Peter had to go fishing with Jesus' instructions is in Matthew chapter 17. Verses 24 to 27. On the Jesus' arrival with the disciples in Capernaum, the tax collectors from the temple came to Peter. Tax collectors. Uh-oh. You know you're in trouble. Tax collectors came to Peter and asked him, Don't you teach it? Pay the temple tax? Of course he does. Peter replied. Then he went into the house and talked to Jesus about it. But before he had the chance to ask Jesus, Jesus said, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or foreigners they have conquered? They tax the foreigners, Peter answered. Well then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw a line, open the mouth, and the first fish you catch, you will find a coin. You will find a coin? Go fishing, you'll find a coin? Take the coin and pay the tax. So the second time Jesus instructs Peter to fish, he's to go down to cast it into the lake, and there's a coin in the fish's mouth. Never heard of that. So he goes and he pays the taxes exactly. If Jesus says it, with Jesus in charge, that is enough. They had enough taxes for both, had enough money for both taxes. Second time I went fishing, Jersey Shore, they have these rock jetties that go out into the ocean about three or four hundred feet, and therefore the inland boats can get out into the ocean from inland, so they built these jetties out, and they can sail out into the ocean. But they're a great place to fish, because they're rocks, and you can cast off there, and there's a lot of fish, and just a good place to fish. So when I was in high school, another boyfriend said, let's go fishing. Okay, I'm ready for this. There's no eel, or there's no trees to get caught in. So we start fishing, and it was all crowded, and I found an empty spot, and I cast it out, and the fellow to my right and to the left was catching fish, and the fellow to my other side was catching fish, and I wasn't getting any bite, nothing at all. So the fellow three people down finished, he had his limit, so I said, well, I'll take his spot. So I go and take his spot, and somebody takes my spot, and starts catching fish. <laughs> so I wait until somebody else left and went to his spot, and my spot got taken, and they caught fish, and never caught any fish there. So finally, middle of the afternoon, I said, I'll do it one more time, and that's it. So I cast it out, and I get a bite. I got a fish. But did you remember what I told you that the jetties were for? The power boats to go in and out? right over my line, yeah. cut my fish loose. And the one fish that I caught got away. So that was the second time I went fishing. 
But I remember the phrase, when Jesus is in charge. The third time, I'll talk about Jesus. John chapter 21. Easter has occurred, Jesus has resurrected, and the disciples decide to go back to fishing. And they go back up to the Sea of Galilee to do some fishing. And here's what happened. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is after the resurrection. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel and Cephas from Galilee and Zebedee and the two brothers. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. They thought they had me with them. <laughs> At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see him who, was, who he was. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied, because Fred's with us. <laughs> then he said, throw out your net on the other side of the boat and you will get plenty of fish. So they did as they were told. We can learn from that. If we do as Jesus tells us to, it's amazing what happened. They, they caught so many fish they couldn't draw the nets in because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he pulled his tunic above, up on him and rushed to the shore. And then, of course, there was a reunion between Jesus and Peter. So I've gone fishing twice in my life. I had a third chance. When I was pastoring in South Weymouth, Massachusetts, there was a naval base in the town. And we had several of the naval, ba uh, the Coast Guard men coming to our church. And one was very faithful and very active and a godly man. And uh, he said, I'm getting transferred to the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. I said, whoa, that's quite a move. So he gets transferred to the Aleutian Islands and he was there about a year, and our phone rings, and it's him, and he's saying, there's a Nazarene church on the Aleutian Islands. Would you like to come and hold a revival service? Huh. It's a long way to go. Yeah, we'll come. Joyce and I will come. And it's a separate adventure getting to the Aleutian Islands, which I'm not going to tell you today, because that will take the rest of the So uh, we go up to the Aleutian Islands, and... There's a Nazarene church there, and it was in the fall when the salmon are running. And one of the men in the, in the church is a commercial fisherman. He has his own boat. He goes out to the North Pacific, which is rough weather, and fishes there. But he says the river in the Aleutian Islands is teeming with fish this time of year. And what was interesting, the interesting point was his name was Schmalzenbach. That name sound familiar to you? It was a grandson of Harman Schmalzenbach, who was the first missionary to Africa 
and it was his, his uh, grandson. He's a commercial fisherman. And we went over to eat one day, and he says, hey, the salmon are running. How'd you like to go fishing? Uh-oh. I could see trouble already. So I said, sure, why not? So I went to the town hall the next day to get my out-of-state fishing license, and the lady didn't believe that I came all the way from New Hampshire, uh, not New Hampshire, we were in Massachusetts, to Alaska to go fishing. But you do crazy things. So he said, we get up at 4 in the morning because you can start fishing right when it's daylight. We get to the water, this, the river. And there's so many salmon in the river, the water's like churning. <sighs> so many salmon. You almost can grab them with your hand. There's so many salmon running up there. But you got to wait. You, gotta, you can't start until it's daylight. So we wait for about 20 minutes. And he says, okay, you can go fishing now. So it was myself, the Coast Guard fella, and Harmon Schmalzenbach's grandson. And we cast it out, reel it in, cast it out, reel it in. After two hours, Harmon Schmalzenbach says, I have fished here every year since I've been five years old. And every time I come, I catch my limit on fish. I didn't even have a bite in three hours. We didn't even get one bite in three hours. He threw his pole down and said, I'm not coming back. So that was my third time. I don't have a good ending. That's it. <laughs> Who in here likes to go fishing? Don't invite me. <laughs> Peter did what Jesus requested, and the results was success. An event in my life that displays the results of not having a power source. Do you have a power source in your life? What is your spiritual power source? The Holy Spirit. They sang about that at the end. Do you have a new power source? When we were living in New Jersey, I bought a new radial arm saw. And uh, we bought a new house, and I had some jobs I wanted to do, and it worked beautiful. My next-door neighbor said, you got a power saw? I want to borrow one. And I thought, uh-oh, this could be trouble. So I said, joyously, I gave it to him. Here, you can borrow it. I did with my joyous, happy spirit. And he has it for a day or two, and he comes back, and he's carrying it in two hands. He's carrying the saw, and he's carrying this power source. He cut right through it. Do you know an electric saw does not work very well if you cut the cord off it? And your life doesn't work very well if you're separated from the Holy Spirit. You have, you have something, but it's useless. You have to be connected. Somebody show me how to splice the wires together. I still have the saw. It's still working because it's still connected to the power source. Are you still connected to the power source? Do you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life? This morning when you got up and realized it was Sunday, did you request the presence of the Holy Spirit? Did you come prepared and say, Come Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come sweet Spirit, I pray. Did you pray for that to happen as you come into the building today? Do you daily request the anointing of the Holy Spirit? 
How do you do that? Do you read your Bible every day? Do you spend time in prayer every day? Do you listen to Christian music? Here's a quote of the day. Without the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> without the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit's work, we lead a powerless, impotent, and frequently cowardice life. Peter's fishing with and without the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a few pre a few examples of Peter pre-Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit, and after the Holy Spirit. What did he do the night that Jesus was arrested? How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. They had no power of the Holy Spirit. What did he do when Jesus was arrested to Malchus? Chopped off his ear. Jesus told, uh, Peter told Jesus not to go into Galilee, but Jesus was sent to go. So these were negative actions by Peter before Pentecost. But the new power fell upon him. What is our power source? The Holy Spirit. Now some actions that Peter took after Pentecost. The first time he preached, there were 2,000 saved. The next time there were 3,000 saved. I remember last time I preached up here, I said, we're waiting for a new pastor. What do you think would happen if the first Sunday a new pastor came, there were 3,000 people here? He might resign. <laughs> he wouldn't have a, you'd have to save him a parking spot. Is that possible? Or are we dreaming spiritually? 3,000 and 2,000. I like the part where you're going into the temple to pray and there's a crippled man and he reaches down and helps the crippled man up and the crippled man starts dancing and skipping and jumping and hooting and hollering. I wonder what would happen if we had a new pastor and somebody started running around the aisle waving a white handkerchief. Ever hear that happening? Peter after Pentecost. When Peter would walk along, his shadow would fall on people and they would be healed. So you have post, pre-Pentecost. Where are you? You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in you? Another quote. We are meant to live spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered lives. But God's spirit will, now listen to this, but God's spirit will not typically work where there's not first an invitation. Wow. First I do much better with visual. I'm a visual person. Talk about some technical term in words. I don't grasp it. But paint me a picture and I can get it. I want to tell a story. In 1464, the Italian government hired somebody to make a statue of King David. They got a huge piece of granite and told them to create an image of King David. He worked for three years and quit. All he'd done was shape his feet, and he quit. 
They hired another man who worked on it for four years, and then he quit. And then it was put into a closet, the block of granite that was supposed to be King David, was put into a closet for 25 years, and nothing happened. And then a new man came along, Michelangelo. And when he was finished, he created one of the greatest pieces of art that he ever created. And somebody asked him, how did you have an image of what David looked like? He said, all I did was chip away the pieces that were not supposed to be there. Think about that. All I did was chip away the pieces that were not supposed to be there. You know, I think that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. Sometimes we got some things in our life that he chips away. Just chips away little pieces at a time. Story I used to tell a lot when I first got out of school, high school, out of college. I played basketball in college and then I played in semi-pro leagues. And uh, one year in the game I broke my foot. I finished playing the game, but the next day I didn't go to school. I was teaching at the time. I went to the doctor and the doctor x-rayed the foot and said, come on down the hall with me, I'll tell you what's wrong. And I walked down the hall and he said, you have a broken foot. And I said, you made me walk down the hall with a broken foot? He said to me, you played a half a basketball game with a broken foot, you can walk down the hall with a broken foot. But he didn't put it, he put it in the cast. He went and he made me use crutches for eight weeks. And in those eight weeks, I started getting interested in church work. And then as soon as I got out of the cast, the next day, boom, I was back playing basketball again. The next year, I was playing and, and I jumped in the air and the guy came running from the side and ran into my knee. The orthopedic surgeon said something interesting to me. He said, God created your knee to bend this way, not this way. And he said, now this was in the 1960s. They didn't do simple knee operations then. And he said, I really can't do anything for you. He's just going to live with it. So for 10 years, I didn't play basketball. And uh, I became a pastor in those 10 years. The little pieces were being chipped away and chipped away. And then one day I got a call from the surgeon. Does the surgeon ever call you up 10 years after you've been there? He said, we can now fix your knee. And they fixed it. But see, they're just chipping away a little piece at a time. And that's what the Lord does to us. Sometimes we think, why did this happen? Well, there's a little piece chipping away. And he wants to create a perfect image. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Every day, something different. Every day, something different. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy truth and thy goodness. I like this. Come in thine own gentle way. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for Peter, for the chipping away that you did of him, and he became one of your men. And I pray for the people you have here today. Maybe there's some little chipping that you're doing. They don't understand it, and they don't like it. I didn't like it when I broke my foot. I didn't like it when I broke my knee. But you were in charge. You were leading and guiding. And I thank you for that today. And I pray that each person here today would know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus, and would allow the Holy Spirit to fill them.
each day with an anticipation and an excitement. What a joy was driving here, looking at the leaves today, and coming into the house and the music and the singing. Thank you. Fill these people with your holiness. And I pray for the individual you've selected already to pass to this church. I said maybe tongue-in-cheek, what if 3,000 were here? But what if 3,000 were here? If each one of us invited some, fill us with that anticipation and excitement and that love. Thank you for these people, Jesus. Bless each one of them. Amen.